Podcast. Hello, everybody. Earl Breon here. Uh, this podcast episode was one uh, that I'm ashamed to admit is is actually several months old. Uh, the guest is John Havlick, a retired U.S. Navy SEAL, and this was actually my last pre-pandemic uh, recording. And it got kind of pushed back a little bit because subsequent guests had a lot of good information to help leaders uh, through COVID-19. So, Coach Havlick, I apologize for the delay on this, but this was a really, really great interview. I had a ton of fun uh, speaking with John about all things leadership between his experience from uh, the SEAL teams to what he's going through uh, getting his PhD right now. I highly, highly recommend you all pick up the book, uh, give it a good read, and hopefully, if nothing else, this uh, serves as a kind of a six-month uh, later uh, kind of rejuvenation for the book. So with that, enjoy this podcast interview with Coach John Havlick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I've got a really great guest for you today. His name is Captain John Coach Havlick, uh, U.S. Navy SEAL retired. Uh, Captain Havlick led special operation teams around the world during his 31-year naval career. Uh, That included Naval Special Warfare Development Group. You may have heard that referred to as DevGru from time to time, Uh, and that is the SEAL's most elite operational unit. Uh, Not that the SEALs aren't elite enough, but they have an extra level of eliteness to them. Uh, Captain Havlick was a nationally ranked swimmer and is a member of West Virginia University Sports Hall of Fame and Mountaineer Legend Society. He is the co-author of the new book uh, with Mr. Bill Treasurer, and that book is The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in an Age of Arrogance. Captain Havlick, thank you for being with us today. Earl, thanks for uh, the opportunity to share some sea stories today. <laughs> we'll really appreciate it. So, uh, so again, and I, I am chomping at the bit to hear this answer, but the, where I start all my guests, what does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Um, well, I, I saw that when I got the posting and I said, well, you know, I'm going to look this up to make sure, <laughs> you know, I'm going to look at the Navy philosophy to make sure I get this. But, uh, you know, it, it's basically in the Navy where I grew up and when I took command, you know, the CEO is responsible for the safety, well-being and efficiency of the command. And and he can delegate that authority down, but uh it doesn't relieve him of the responsibility of what happens. So when I think about it, when I relate it to my career and put, try to put it in layman's term terms, it's, you know, the commanding officer is responsible for everything associated with their respective command. And uh, that responsibility is uh, absolute. You can't delegate that down. You can't run away from it and you can't uh, push it off to somebody else. And so as the CEO, so, you know, the spotlight's on you all the time and uh, you, uh, you take, you know, you take all the praise when things go right and you have to be ready to take the blame when things go bad. So that's kind of what it means to me. 
Uh, no, I, I like that. It's one of my favorite uh, favorite leadership quotes and who it's from just bounced out of my head as soon as I said it. But a, a good leader takes more than their share of the blame and gives more than their share of the credit. Uh, it, so I, I like that. So, um, okay, so let's let's touch on the book here a little bit. The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in an Age of Arrogance. So what I liked about it is is not only did you get a lot of great feedback uh, uh, as far as reviews from the book, but I like the intro, Ego and the Harvest of Misdirected Power. What is that about? Well, um, when Bill and I um, were thinking about the book, we just uh, we were thinking we were kind of looking at. Uh, um, various traits, about 10 different traits, you know, of bad leadership. Some folks that we've seen, Bill from the corporate business side of the house and me from the military. And we just kind of one day were talking and just said, you know, it's, you know, most of this stuff comes from uh, good leaders who just get carried away or get their, their sense of self-importance gets uh, the best of them. And, uh, and most of it was just their ego um, you know, they got, uh, spoiled by the, uh, the perks of command, so to speak, of being in charge. And they tended to, uh, forget about their own guiding principles and, the, you know, the, the intent, the integrity of, of leadership. And they tended to, uh, kind of, you know, lead, um, for their benefit, not the benefit of those that they are in charge of. So that's kind of the theory behind that quote. Well, and you hit on something that's very important there, especially for for leaders. You know, the the more prominent your leadership role becomes, the more intoxicating the power of that position can be, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, you, you make your way up the chain of command or the organizational uh, structure and you know, you get the nice office with all the windows and get the nice parking spot and you get more pay and some other the other perks. And, and it's all because of your performance. And so you tend to think that if no one's been checking you or if you've just ridden the, the wave of success, that you think everything you do is right and, and, it's, and it's my way or kind of the highway. And, and you tend to forget um, that, uh, you know, there's... You get carried away, yes, yes. So you get, uh, you, you tend to get uh, over. Uh, okay, what's the best word to say? Uh, you like, you like having people at your beck and call, you know, and and you get you can get carried away with that. Yes, you can. Yeah, well, you know, and, and uh, you know, being an active duty Marine, I, I still remember when I think back on my career, the 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 leaders I remember the most fondly were the ones that I would like, you know, I would look over and they were digging a ditch with us or they were, you know, handing out chow with us or, or whatever. And the ones I remember the least fondly were the ones that are always just kind of relying on that, that weight in their collar, the position of, or the power of their position. And, and I think that's a lot of kind of what you get at in this book is the, the humility piece that you have to keep with you as you climb the ranks, right? Uh, well, you got to remember your roots. That's the best way I, I, I can ex- 
express it. Uh, you know, you start, I remember at least from my side, I started out as an ensign, you know, a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. And, you know, he, I'm sure you can relate to this, but <laughs> we think we don't know everything and you really don't, you know, and that's where you get educated by the, uh, your personnel around you. And, and I, and I often say the best leadership lesson I, I ever had was, uh, I was in a little watering hole in, uh, Coronado uh, one Friday afternoon and I was walking out and two uh, master chiefs, SEAL master chiefs came in and heavily decorated from Vietnam. And uh, I was walking out and they were walking in and they said, Ensign, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. And no, they said, no, you're not, sir. Turn around and go back in. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I, I went back in and uh, spent a couple, about two to three hours with them. Uh, and they taught me, just gave me lessons on what they thought would be how to be a good leader in SEAL teams, you know. And, and you know, the bis- biggest thing I took away from that was just uh, you know, listen to your men because they have, most of them have more experience than you do and try to make them part of the planning process You know, take a little piece of the ownership, especially in mission planning. And if you can do that, you're, you'll get really good results and the guys will respect you even more. Now, I, and I like that story because that's something that a lot of uh, a lot of our our listeners in the private sector are dealing with, but almost kind of almost kind of the opposite effect in a way, right? So the 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 senior chiefs are usually much older than an ensign. Uh, I mean, just off the top of your head, like what is the average age of a of, of a senior chiefs uh, in the teams? Probably late thirties, close to forties. And as yeah. an ensign, you're probably what early twenties. Yeah, I was twenty five. I started buds a little later, but yeah, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, right. So, so in the civilian world, you have, you know, the the older folks kind of at the top of the food chain, not necessarily wanting to listen to the the newer folks coming in uh, to the workforce. You know, this whole millennial taking over the workforce uh, issue that's going on right now. Right. But but you had, you know, kind of the same thing, just a little bit reversed. These were the old salty dogs giving you great leadership. And even though you technically, uh, by the hierarchy of the military, you outranked them and could have told them to go get bent. Right. You had the foresight and the humility to listen to these folks. So how somebody who is in an older position or uh, an older person in a position of power how can they kind of humble themselves to listen to this new blood coming in with, with good ideas? Well, I'll tell you, I, we were talking about this beforehand, but I made the decision last year to go back to school. And, uh, and I can tell you every week I go there, I'm humbled by how much I don't know. So, uh, because my class is probably, you know, it's an executive doctoral program. So, the average age of this student in there is probably late thirties, uh, early forties, and they're sharp, you know, and they've got a lot of experience and they're active in their jobs and professions and they're doing good stuff. And so I think as an older leader, you need to kind of keep a, be flexible and keep an open mind on learning, you know, and that's kind of why I went back to school. I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning because I don't, you tend to think you know everything, especially as you get more senior. But in reality, you the, the big reality check is you don't know as much as you think you do. And so 
you need to listen to the, you know, I think it's, it works both ways. You, you listen to the young folks coming in because they got great ideas and a lot of energy, but also, you know, the young folks need to understand that the older folks have the experience and have probably lived through a lot of things that they're coming up in their lives that they can, you know, share with them and learn from. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, what, it, what is the old quote? Uh, True wisdom is knowing how much you don't know. Well, I, I, I share the, you know, I, I share one of the tips in the book was the best thing I ever did as a, as an officer was, uh, I was down in Panama at a boat unit, special boat unit down there. And I was the exec executive officer. So I was the number two guy. And I'm sure it's the same way in the Corps. You know, the, the XO is usually the bad cop of the COXO relationship. CO is a good guy, tells you what you do right, shakes hands and makes everybody feel good. XO, he usually has to uh, handle all the problems of the day-to-day -day, uh, operation of the unit. And so I used to, I used to start hearing things about uh, through the grapevine about how leadership at, at this command it doesn't know what's going on. And I, I was like, wow, I used to say that when I was a young ensign, you know, <laughs> and, and now I'm in charge, you know, I'm part of the leadership. So, you know, what am I missing? And so I, I made it a point of uh, every Friday um, we would do a field day of the command spaces and, uh, you know, clean it clean the workspace before they went off on Liberty for the weekend. And the XO's job was usually to walk around, make sure it was done. And uh, I used to take that opportunity to walk around, yeah, check on the cleanliness, but I used to walk around and I tried to meet uh, the people in my command and talk to them and learn about them and just kind of open myself up to feedback. And, and at first, yeah, I can tell you it was very, it was very awkward and uncomfortable in the very beginning because as I mentioned early, when the XO walks into a workspace, it's usually not for a good reason. And, you know, so the sailors used to see me go, oh, Christ, here comes the XO. And, uh, and I would, I'd show up, but I'd try to just go up and shake their hand and talk to them. But I, but I made a commitment. So I did it every Friday I was in town and it took a couple hours, you know, out of my day, um, to do it. But, uh, once after a couple months, it was just amazing how everybody was kind of waiting for the XO to come down, you know, and the opportunity to talk to them. So after a while, I just didn't even care about, I did care about the command being clean, but I cared more about talking to my sailors and learning from them. And, you know, it was a great opportunity one-on-one -on -one to, you know, talk to leadership directly and for me to talk to the folks that work for me. And, you know, so if we had, we were changing a policy or doing something, I'd get feedback on that or kind of what, why we're doing it. And, and it was, it was great. You know, it was, it was the best thing I ever did. And I tried, it was a pot, it was a practice that I tried to carry throughout my career, um, in the Navy. No, I love it. And I can, I can just hear my listeners right now because they, they probably already know what I'm getting ready to say because I say it a lot on here is what you just said reinforces Leadership is just another relationship. Yeah. Everything that makes a personal relationship work is the same thing that makes a leadership relationship work. And, you know, I mean, that's what you did. You got down, you, you built a relationship with these folks, right? It was, yeah, it was good. And like I said, it was really, really hard because, of course, you know, like 
most leaders, I mean, my end basket was three feet high, you know, and, and to take two or three outers out of my day, um, was a lot, you know, and I know it's a lot for a lot of other people too. And, but I just felt it was important, you know, and, and once I started it, um, it was just, God, what I learned, I learned how much I didn't know. And then, and then the opportunity just to share with, um, the command, um, was, was great. And so, um, I highly recommend if you, you have, if you can get out of the audience, uh, get out of your office, you know, make it a practice to do it. But again, to be successful, you have to be committed to it and you have to do it on a regular basis. You just can't do it like one week and then I'll do it again three months down the road. It's just, it's not very effective. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I've worked with, uh, with leaders that, that, you know, just tried that, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I've noticed in the civilian world is, uh, you can always tell when somebody's read a new book because their whole leadership style and, and verbiage changes. And, and I, I had a leader that did just exactly that. They, they read a book about, uh, I can't remember who it was now, but he talked about how he parked in the furthest away parking spot so he could see all of the people he was responsible for as he walked through the door. And like, sure enough, this guy starts parking in the farthest way parking spot. And, 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 and the point is, is it wasn't, as you pointed out, it wasn't a natural behavior. It wasn't something that you expected. It was just something that you could tell was forced and was not authentic. Yeah. It was, I, I have to preface it by saying this was uh, part one of a two part strategy of mine on, on getting to know my command. So why, so after I, I made it a point, I'm terrible with first names. And so, I, you know, and then the military makes it very easy for folks like me because, you know, your name, your name tags on your uniform and, and your rank is either on your collar or somewhere on your uniform. So if you don't know your, your sailor, oh, petty officer so-and-so. Yeah. Like I know you, you know, but, but I made it a point. I said, look, if I'm going to do this and there has to be an end state, of course I get the feedback and, um, and I get smarter what's going on around, around the command. Um, but. I, I made a point. I said, there's got to be a, I want to do one of those seasonal changes where we had a haircut uniform inspection and I wanted, and I wanted to do it when the command was there in mass, you know? And so we had about 200, a little over 220 folks assigned to the unit. And I wanted to make it a point of walking through the ranks and shaking everybody's hand and calling them by their first name, which is, highly unusual in the military. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, you know, the, it was, a, it was a great story and I did it, but it took me about 10 months to get comfortable to the fact that I could do this and not embarrass myself. And so I did it and, you know, I went down, I'm walking through there and I'm doing, I'm really on a, I'm on a roll and, and I, I'm looking out the periphery of my eyesight, you know, looking like two or three sailors down the road, identifying names as I'm talking to somebody, you know? So I, and I looked, I kept looking down and I, I saw one guy and I go, oh man, I don't know this guy's name at all. And, uh, and I finally get down to him and I shake his hand and, and I, we're looking at each other and <laughs> I was, I just kept shaking his hand and he goes, you don't know my name, sir. And I go, no, I don't have a clue who you are. And he, uh, he said, that's okay, sir. You know, I probably haven't been in your office for being in trouble. And I go, no, I haven't seen, I don't recognize the face. And 
So he, he said, no problem, sir. You know, and I said, so what's your first name? And he told me. And I said, well, thank I apologize. And I moved on. And, you know, the irony of the story is that was the only guy, the only sailor's first name I didn't know. And a couple months later, that sailor was picked as my sailor of the year. Mm. So he was my very best performing sailor. And that was the only name that I didn't know. So, <laughs> but I think the command respected me for doing it. Uh, was unusual, um, but uh, was, it built some of the rapport that, you know, I tried to do with those walk arounds on Friday. And, and then it was very, it was, to me, it was, it, it was very effective for me. Well, what I like, and, and it's, it's a question you ask early on in the book, how will I use my leadership power? And, and you kind of said that you wanted to use in that, that instance, it sounded to me like you said you want to use your leadership power to, to set the tone and culture of the unit, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, I, I walked into, uh, it was, uh, it was bad what I walked into when I took over and we had to change some things and you know, I had to fire a few people and yeah, I had to, I had to raise a little angst, but it was the right thing to do. We were just doing things. Uh, we weren't doing things the right way. And, you know, but part of the deal, the effectiveness of making it happen was when I just started walking around, you know, I could, I could tell people, this is why I'm doing it. What do you think? You know, and you know, even the most junior sailor and, and they would give me feedback and, you know, and it was, I had to be open to it. I mean, and most of it was very positive. Uh, sometimes it was a little out of hand, you know, a little out of control, but it was part of the deal, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it was something I wanted to do. And I think, and I wanted to do it because I thought it would make, uh, make us change and act more professional and, and do what was really required of us. Outstanding. So, um, so the, the title of your book again is, uh, the leadership killer. Uh, what is the leadership killer? Well, uh, hubris and, uh, you know, it's extreme self arrogance or confidence. And, uh, when, uh, my co-author and I were, as we mentioned earlier, we were looking about 10 different traits. And as you write a book, uh, you know, that means an, a chapter for each, you know, <laughs> so, and, you know, and then probably a chapter to intro and then a chapter to summarize, you know. So we we would talk every Sunday about the book and what we were writing. And and then just after a while, we just kind of we just started talking about, you know, what what makes the examples we give in the book, you know, why make, what makes a leadership do, what makes a leader who's achieved these high positions of authority and responsibility do some of the things that they do that clearly, you know, is wrong. And, uh, and then this term hubris, we start talking about this term hubris and you just kind of felt that it was the, uh, the root of all evil, you know? And so that's what we, Instead of identifying 10 different traits, we just identified the one trait that leads to all the others. And so that's what the leadership killer is, hubris. Yeah, and I like that because in the book you do, you do a really good job of pointing out it's not, just, it's not just successful leaders that achieve high leadership roles that are uh, impacted by hubris. You, you have an entire section titled, uh, I believe it's When Losers Win, where you point out all these people who achieve their fame essentially through uh, 
duping the system because they wanted to boost their ego, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I always felt like, uh, and maybe maybe you saw this in the Marine Corps and some of the leaders you worked with, but I always thought uh, the leaders who, who tried were somewhat hubristic, were uh, the ones who thought nobody would say anything, you know? Mm-hmm. of their of their behavior or uh, no one would notice and uh and i clearly would <laughs> i would sit there and say that you know any leader who doesn't think uh the workers don't know what's going on around them and <laughs> or what what they're doing is is uh hubristic and heading for trouble so well right I, you i mean you bring up a bunch of examples like yeah, some that People probably have never heard of before, like some of the CEOs you talk about. Uh, but, you know, some of the ones that made national uh, headlines, uh, like you talk about uh, that the Dr. Larry Nasser uh, with U.S. Olympic Gymnastics. You know, there, there's only one way you do that for that long is you have to have a level of hubris that says, I can do whatever I want and I'm not going to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. That's clearly... That's kind of the common theme that at least I saw and what Bill Bill saw in the corporate side of the house. So yes, I totally agree. It's just the the thought that you can get away with it. You know, kind of the old what they say: "Do what I say, not what I do." You know, uh, leadership philosophy, and somehow you think you can get away with it and not get caught. Sometimes people leaders get away, are lucky and don't get caught, but in general, it usually comes back to uh, you know bite them and. And uh, so, yeah, uh, perfect. So uh, what what tips do you have for people who, you know, who are, are probably, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you probably haven't gotten to, to that position yet because, you know, once you get there, you probably think you don't need help by listening to podcasts and reading books by, by great people like my guest and uh, other great books that are out there. Uh, but people are climbing the ladder that are, kind of reaching those levels of, of leadership and power uh, that are going to start being tempted by their ego, by, by their hubris. How, how can they avoid falling victim to it? Well, I, I, I identified the first one, you know, get out of your office, you know, force yourself to get away, get out of your office, push away from your desk, leave your cell phone and just go out and talk with your people, you know, whether it's, on the production floor or wherever you work, you know, if you have that opportunity, take advantage of it and do it, you know, because like I said, the biggest thing you find out is how much you really don't know. And so if you want a good hubristic check, um, just go out there and think, you know, everything and then start talking to your people and you'll find out exactly how much you don't know. So, uh, so they'll make you smarter. And, um, and that kind of ties in with the second tip we offer up is, uh, you know, open up your, your mental aperture. Um, you know, when I went out and talked to my sailors, I opened myself up, which is I'm a pretty quiet individual, but I had to force myself to kind of just put myself out there and stand by for what came at me, you know, and, and keep an open mind, be professional about it. But um, you're going to hear good and bad. And you're, in, and again, a reinforcement of you're probably going to hear something you don't know. And so you, that's the second tip we offer. But you know, there's the other big one that I saw in the military, 
which I thought was really an effective tool to kind of maintaining your, uh, your humility as a leader was, uh, find yourself a, get a check, you know, uh, somebody that you trust, or maybe it's a mentor that you can go to for advice and run ideas off. But the, what I saw in the Navy was very effective was when I was the commanding officer, I had an executive officer and then I had a command master chief and, or senior enlisted, you know, and so they were the ranking enlisted member of the unit, somewhat like your Sergeant, Sergeant major, right. Command right. Sergeant major. And, uh, and it just was, was the triad, you know, and, and I saw when the, the triad was effective was when, um, leadership spoke at one voice, you know, and so we, big thing we would do is, you know, close the door, talk about command policy issues, you know, agree on it, whether they all didn't agree with it or not. And then when we went out, when we opened the door, we spoke as one voice and, and so, but, you know, when the door was closed, it was always kind of a check. And there were times when I remember my senior enlisted would come in and go, you know, Skipper, you might want to, you might want to rethink something or I'm not sure this is going to work. And so, you know, a ch- having that check to kind of watch your back is very important. And it's got to be somebody that you trust and will respect and give them kind of the implicit okay to kind of call you out, hopefully not in public, when things, maybe when you're getting a little bit out of hand. Yeah, well, yeah, right. And I would say, uh, you know, I'd say definitely not in public unless you're getting crazy out of hand, right? You, you, I like what you said there about behind closed doors. Uh, but I just, I just felt it was, you know, like I said, the effective, effective leadership and communication is, was the top three talking in one voice. And so it was same message, same tone, same everything. You know, nothing is more confusing to the sailors on the deck plate than the CEO saying one thing, the XO saying another, and then the master chief comes in and gives his two cents on how, what he thinks and just throws confusion out there and just doesn't, doesn't add to com- command performance and effectiveness. Well, yeah, or, or worse, right. When, when he comes in, he's like, look, I don't agree with this, but the skipper says this is something we got to do. I mean, it just kind of undermines the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it just kind of defeats everybody's respect and loyalty to the chain of command. And nothing's worse than contradicting your the higher-ups in public. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you talk about in the book, and you've kind of mentioned it a little bit already, but – I, I really, I really enjoyed seeing this mentioned. Uh, self care, taking the time for self care. Why is that important? And and what do you mean when you talk about self care? Yeah, you just got to, uh, you got to take care of yourself first. You know, um, you gotta. However, whatever gets you through today that makes you the, an effective leader, whether it's a, you know, just taking taking a walk, you know, or going to do a workout or just stepping outside the office and kind of getting away with it. How, how, whatever makes you tick, you got to remember to do that because you can easily get carried away with meetings and forgetting about yourself. And if you don't take care of yourself, you tend to become a, an effective leader. So, um, and if you can take care of yourself, then it's a pretty good way of, uh, you'll take care of everybody else. So, yeah, no, I like that. And, and, uh, 
So with, with with your years of experience in the military, because this is one thing that that I have to overcome quite a bit, and I'm just curious how how you handle it when somebody says, you know what, John, all this stuff sounds great, but it's easier to do in the military than it is in the corporate world. It just doesn't work that way. What do you have to say to them? Um, I would say probably the only difference, um, and this is where going back to school has been great for me because I get to work with some pretty senior officials in business. And, and I asked one the other day, I said, uh, you know, how big's your command or how big's your organization? He goes, well, about 4,000. Then we're worldwide. And I said, how do you, how do you get word passed? And he goes, it's very difficult. And so, you know, and being a special operations, you know, small units, your effectiveness, it's a little easier to go out to reach out and touch, so to speak, you know? And so, you know, it's, but you can communicate if you're a big unit, you know, you, you have different avenues. You can do an email, you can Facebook or whatever. You can use video telephone, tele, VTCs, we called them. I forget what the acronym stands for, but, uh, but if you need, if you want to reach out and touch your people, just go out and do it. It's not, it's not that hard. And then when I, you know, last or last week, uh, I was in school last week, uh, it was all about technology and how you can use technology to make your business better and effective and teach leadership and all the use, all the uses of technology all applied back to kind of the principles of just good leadership. And you can, there's so many avenues out there, so many applications you can use to get the word out, to get your people, to inform them, to communicate with them, to help them become better leaders and better workers. So it sounds like there's just really no excuse for not getting to know your team, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's a simple way of saying it. Yes. I mean, I know there's people with big um, organizations and it's hard, like I said, to just reach out and touch them. But um, you got to look at the most effective way that you can do that. And um, and I think there's a lot of successful people out there, similar situations. I would study them, look to see what they do. But uh, I think the big thing is learning how to communicate, you know, and if, if you're afraid to communicate, then, and then I'm not sure you belong in a leadership position because uh, you, know, you have to tell people what's going on and you got to expect feedback from them. See, and here's what I love about this, this conversation we're having, right. Is because it, it's, it's one that needs to be had because I feel a lot of leaders, they're afraid to kind of open up and build those relationships, like like we've talked about, I think you called it walking the deck plate. Some people refer to it as just walking the halls. But you know, look, look folks, you have uh, a, a former active duty Marine Corps veteran, you have a former active duty Navy SEAL, okay, sitting here telling you that relationships are important to leadership. Don't be afraid to build relationships. Would you add anything else to that? Don't be, don't be afraid to communicate, you know, want to talk to people. You know, I think that's what they say. That's the lost art of communication is talking to people now because we're so hung up on social media, our phones, everything like that. I mean, um, I just think you gotta, you just as a leader, you gotta find the time. You gotta make time to go out 
and talk with your people and not just sit in your office and shoot emails out and expect everybody to just, you know, respond to, uh, to your postings, you know, the, the effectiveness of one-on-one communication is just unbelievable. Yes. That, that relationship capital. I mean, you know, you, you talked about it earlier on with all the work you had to do, but you know, I wish there was a way to quantify the unknown, right? Cause I would like to know as the hatchet man, as the XO, how much work you saved yourself by building those relationships. You know, how many of those sailors, didn't act out? How many of those sailors didn't get in trouble? How many of those sailors did the right thing because they didn't want to disappoint you? Well, it took time. It would, like I said, it just did not happen overnight, you right. know? And so there were a couple things I had to do to kind of reinforce the fact that I meant business, you know? <laughs> so there were a couple firings, yeah. uh, but they needed to be done. And, you know, but I took the opportunity to tell people why I did it, you know, and, and I think that's really what it is. You want buy-in from your people. You need to, you have, you need to be open to them. You need to tell them why you did it, you know, how it changes, how it works for the best of the organization and, you know, and, and let them, if you're kind of looking at a cultural change or a policy change, you know, ask them what they think, you know, cause they're going to have to execute it eventually, you know, and so you want to make it easy for them. And so, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of just, you know, it was hard. And again, it was very hard for me and, you know, but it was something I knew that if, if I was going to become a better leader, I needed to get better at it. And I had to put myself out there and I, and, but, uh, again, it was the best thing I ever did. And again, something I tried to take with me and continue on. Um, even in my semi-retired state right now. So, <laughs> so. yeah, if you can call going for your, your uh, doctor at a retired state, then yes. <laughs> oh, so, man, it's, it's writing hell right now. So, <laughs> so I, sometimes I wonder, you know, every one of my friends, when I told them I was going to do it, they go, what, did, you got to be kidding me. And I'm like, oh no, it would be great. And then I'm writing, writing all these papers. Like, oh my God. <laughs> so, it probably makes writing the book look like child's play, huh? Well, it's a lot different. You know, writing a book is totally different than academic writing. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's actually easier, you know, so when I do, I still do blogs for Bill on, uh, on his website at Giant Leap Consulting and, those are a lot easier than <laughs> writing a blog or a paper for academia. It's just, it's a different level and it's just a different requirement and expectation coming out, but it's very cool. I, I like it. I, it uh, keeps me busy. I'm learning and growing, which I want to do. And, and uh, you know, in the bottom line, when I think about it is like, it's, it's probably the best thing I've done in, in a long time. Outstanding. So, uh, so we, we've mentioned Bill's name a couple of times. Uh, if I read right, uh, you and he go back all the way to the college days, and you, you swam together? Uh, we were – I was a swimmer. Bill was a diver at West Virginia University. Okay. And, uh, and uh, I met him his freshman year. I was uh, finishing up my degree. I'd used up my eligibility, so I was coaching. And, we, you know, we struck, struck up a relationship and a friendship uh, just by that and kind of separated uh, – each other from each other about 35 years. And then we reconnected a few years back at a re some team and reunion at a football game. And, you know, I, I kind of read up on what he was doing and we had breakfast one day and 
I said, you should bring me in and let me tell my stories. You know, I hear, see, they love, people love hearing seal stories. So he, that's kind of how it started. And so he's been very good to me, offered me opportunities to like this, to, you know, share stories, my experiences and, uh, and try to relate it and offer up tips. And one thing I don't like doing is preaching. I hate speakers who stand up there and say, do it this way, do it my way, or you're going to fail in life as a father or a mother, um, you know, a leader, you know, I offer up tips, good and bad. You know, as the book says, I, I had my own little glitch because of hubris and, but I learned a lot and I carried on and made me a better, more humble leader. So, um, that's, that's what we try to do. Outstanding. You know, no, I think everybody who's been in the military, like if you've sat through more than a handful of safety briefs, you, you develop a severe dislike for death by PowerPoint. Um, and, and, and I, I like that too. Like that was the one thing whenever I'm, I'm instructing uh, or, or being asked to speak or whatever word they use, you know, always someone's like, no, no, I'm coming there to have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, my slide deck is super minimal. Uh, you know, I, my, my partner and I, we once showed up at a spot. It was supposed to, we, they gave us two hours, uh, to talk to 500 people. And we had a total of 13 slides and the organizer was just having kittens. They're like, where's your slide deck? That's it. You've got two hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, this public speaking thing is, uh, you got to find your own little way of getting through it, you know? And so when I first started, I had, a lot of slides, you know, but I, I don't, I talk, I have pictures. So I talk to the pictures and I yes. share stories, you know, which are very effective. And, but so many times I've, after a presentation, I've had people come up and go like, ditch the slides, tell your stories, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a hard, that is very hard to let go of, uh, because sometimes the slides kind of build, help build into the stories and the effectiveness. And so, I've tried to reduce it down depending on the audience uh, who I'm talking to. Kids, uh, high schoolers, uh, college, I, I like to go in with no slides and just kind of share things that I wish I'd have known when I was sitting in the audience from somebody before. And uh, so, yeah, less slides, the better. Then you don't have to worry about your presentation not showing up and <laughs> the video not working and all the other stuff. So. Yeah, it seems, I, I totally agree. The less slides, the better. So uh, other than this book, uh, what are what are you and Bill doing doing together? Uh, we still, uh, we do an occasional uh, seminar, leadership, courageous leader, leadership seminars. Uh, we've done a couple of those. And um, just, uh, you know, with, since school, since I've started school, uh, my priorities have kind of been refocused, so to speak. And so just trying, you know, I try to support Bill as much as I can. And, and I don't know if we're going to do another book. Uh, you know, uh, we released the audio book. So we're pushing that now. And your podcast is part of that. And, uh, but I'm not sure what we're going to do. Talk about it every now and then, but, uh, I don't know. That's that's a great question. Maybe I need to ask Bill what the future holds. <laughs> well, no, that's that's good. I just want to make sure while we got you on here, we can promote as much as possible because I really do like the book that y'all put together. Thank you. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Bill, but uh, you know you're an outstanding individual. Thank you very much for your your years of service. I really appreciate that. Same uh, to you. And and uh, you know just I. Uh, 
appreciate the time you spent with me today. I really do. It's an important topic. Uh, I, I agree with you 100% that whatever word you want to put on it, uh, I like the word hubris. It, uh, I, I like old words. And to me, hubris is an old word that not a lot of people know and they should. Uh, you know, I, I, tend, I, I, I tend, sorry for interrupting, no, I tend good. to, I tend to notice when you bring the word up, people either don't know it or are afraid to address it because they don't have a, quite have the grasp on it, you know, right. and they, they can't define it. So, uh, so I think it's a great educational term. It's a term we should be talking about a lot more than, than we do. It, that is exactly right. So, um, so you mentioned school taking up some of your priorities, but uh, I'm still going to put uh, coachhavlick.com as a link on the show notes so people Absolutely. can find you. Uh, is there a way that, uh, that, that our listeners can uh, contact you otherwise? Like you're on social media, are you on Facebook, uh, Twitter, that sort of stuff? Uh, Twitter at, I'm uh, at Coach Havlick. Uh, LinkedIn is John Havlick. Uh, probably the best thing is the, the website, coachhavlick.com. There's a page where you can contact me uh, through my uh, email account. And then uh, for Bill, Bill and I, uh, the leadershipkiller.com is a good site about the book. Um, and then Bill, I always like to plug Bill, uh, giantleapconsulting.com. Uh, is, and Bill Treasure, at Bill Treasure. So, um Lots of ways to get a hold of us. Absolutely. And I'll get uh, as many of these as I can fit into the show notes there. So uh, you gentlemen can uh, can have people access you fairly easy. Um, well, sir, again, I appreciate the time. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you'd like to cover right now? No, I, I would just, I think the, we went over the tips, so I, which are pretty easy. And then the book itself, um, I always try to end something like, you know, why, why we think leadership is important is, you know, leader, leadership destroys the leader's integrity, you know, and then when workers see the, the leader caring more about themselves than the people they lead, then you lose their loyalty. And so if you want to destroy an effective organization, become hubristic. And mm. uh, so I'll leave you, I'll leave you with that. I like that. That's that a good word of warning. And, uh, so, listeners, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, this episode. As you heard, uh, as you heard John mention, uh, they just came out with the audio version of the book. I highly recommend that. It's uh, uh, it's a great book to read. I can only imagine uh, how great it is on audiobook. Um, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, uh, you can reach me at theburden.command at gmail.com. Uh, we'll have all those ways listed so you can get a hold of, of John and, uh, Bill, if you want to reach out to him as well. Thank you for the time, uh, that you spent with us listening to the conversation that we had. I hope you really enjoyed it. John, again, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Earl. Appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, listeners, uh, again, just appreciate it. Make sure you rate, uh, review and subscribe to the show so you get it in your inbox every Monday morning when it launches now. And uh, look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. 
On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.